Direct from the astronomy capital of Australia comes the Astro Podcast. An irregular series of interviews with interesting astro people about the projects and passions that keep their eyes to the sky. Not all of the cool stuff that's being done in astronomy is being done by professional astronomers. This week we talked to Brad and Pete who run itelescope.net, a telescope on demand service that allows both uh, amateurs and professionals alike to have access to incredible telescopes when they want, like during the daytime, when I prefer to be observing. <laughs> this is a great interview where it talks all about the itelescope.net service and what's available out there to people who want to do astrophotography or want to do stunning of one type or another whether they're professional or amateurs, uh, using the itelescope.net service. I'll be back at the end of the uh, podcast for a chat. Hi, Alison here from Astro Podcast, and I'm here with Brad Moore and Peter Poulos from itelescope.net. G'day. G'day. <laughs> G'day, Brad. Hello. And, Hello, thank you, Alison. Thank you for having us. And iTelescope is one of the oh, – up here, at, uh, we're actually at Siding Spring recording this, apart from Brad's not here. He's down in Melbourne. Is that true, Brad? That's correct, yes. Right. And yes, um, up, it's one of the tenants up here, would you say, on the, on the mountain? Yeah. That, that's correct, yeah. We're, we're one of the tenants up at the um, at Siding Spring uh, Observatory. So, um, yes, we're, we're up in the mountain and we're currently constructing uh, our new observatory up there. That's right. And, but the difference between iTelescope and the others is that iTelescope is actually a commercial um, concern. So, well, yeah, we're, we're partly a commercial concern. Yeah. We are um, an Australian-based uh, company, um, but we are—we like to use the term uh, not-for-profit and self-funding. So, um, unlike the other organisations up here, we seek no government funding, and we are uh, funded purely from our membership base. So uh, our membership base um, basically support the business. And um, we say that we're not for profit because, um, you know, we don't um, take the excess profits out of the business and, you know, buy Lamborghinis, which is just, it, it would never happen. We actually invest um, all the money that we do make out of the network. And we like to try and balance that through lower subscription fees and membership fees uh, through the expansion of the network. So um, a lot of the membership fees actually go back into the development of the network, supplying new instrumentation and new telescopes up onto the network for people to use. Great. If that makes sense. Yeah, great. So how long has iTelescope been around? Well, that's a very interesting question. We've been around officially for about six months, but uh, that's in terms of its uh, corporate structure. But uh, the business itself was previously known as uh, – has been about around for about eight years now. And uh, we're previously known as uh, Rentoscope, and uh, Rentoscope was founded – um, in the US um, from a, a guy called um, Arnie Rosner. And he uh, started a rentoscope in California in his backyard and he had, a, I think, a Mead telescope in his backyard and uh, was uh, trying to do um, uh, narrowband imaging through the light pollution in California and he had you know, a number of customers that would come in and use a, a, his telescope remotely. 
And uh, from there we spun off. We quickly learnt that uh, that's not going to work too well in, in California. So uh, he went and um, contacted um, what people know as New Mexico Skies, Mike and Lynn Rice, who are, are fantastic operators. And they have a site up in uh, New Mexico. Um, and uh, they're uh, – Pete, what's the elevation there? About 10,000 feet or so. Oh, 7,000 feet or so, yeah. Yeah, 7,000 feet or so um, up, and um, we thought, well, th- this is a much better location to put some telescopes, and this was about seven or so years ago, and um, we, that's where we f- first really formed uh, Rentoscope, and uh, at around that time, about seven years ago, I joined the organisation and uh, worked in a business partnership uh, with Arnie Rosner to um, basically start building <laughs> back then in the, the network what we have uh, today, and through that evolution, uh, me being located in Australia, um, we thought, well, yeah, you know, I had my own, uh, you know, imaging system here, own telescope system in Australia, and I thought, well, why don't we start offering, you know, our members access to the southern skies? And so um, that happened, and uh, we built up an observatory uh, in Australia, and um, we have slowly progressed from there. And we, about uh, five years ago, we changed our name to uh, what was called Global Renoscope, and that's what we we're probably very well known for for a period of time. But um, just recently, through our association with um, the RSAA at uh, the ANU and the uh, Siding Spring Observatory Complex, we decided to um, uh, take a bit of the commercial polish off the organisation and uh, restructure ourselves. And along with that restructure, um, itelescope.net was um, was born. So, and um, we we literally essentially changed our name from Global Renoscope to itelescope.net as well as changing some of the corporate background st- structure. And through that restructuring, we had some um, pricing changes to reflect the not-for-profit um, type model that we're now working with and um, revise some of our membership plans. And um, so far for the last six months, um, uh, we've got um, uh, lots and lots of new subscribers and uh, the uh, network is growing and the business is growing at a, a fairly rapid rate. So we're very, very excited at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Brad, can you tell me, well, how how it all works? So, you know, the, the network itself, the, the telescopes and how people get on and, and what they're actually doing. Well, yeah, that's, that's just uh, a small question. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, with lots of pizza and a lot of red nights and some alcohol, it makes all this work. Uh, we we spend a large amount of time. We really make this look uh, fairly easy from the outside, um, looking in, um, in terms of you can just log on to a website remotely control a telescope and take these wonderful images but there's a lot of technology and a lot of human resources that goes into the back end to make this um all work so we have fairly sophisticated uh, sort of like semi-professional telescope mounts um fairly semi-professional based uh, telescopes so um we use like a vendors like a plane wave and takahashi telescopes um, as an example, and, and we use uh, um, like Paramount MEs and um, Ascension 200 mounts from uh, from Planewave, and that's a lot of the um, hardware technology that actually goes into the business. And there's quite um, a fairly strong discipline that you need to actually 
set up the telescopes and tweak them in such a way that they actually are suitable for remote operation. Um, so we have uh, some good ground crew, and um, I fly around uh, from place to place um, setting up these telescopes to make sure they're actually you know, ready for the network. And there's quite a lot of things that go into, you know, tweaking the optics and uh, setting up the uh, guiding systems and uh, configuring the optics to make sure they're fully collimated. And so there's a whole big process that goes into that. But once that's all set up, we have uh, ground crews uh, at each of the uh, locations. And uh, Peter is um, responsible for the new operation in uh, in uh, Australia, and uh, Peter also manages at uh, a high level all the telescopes remotely on our network. So the, the next part of that is the software side. So we use a product called um, ACP, which is uh, written by a guy called Bob Denny, and uh, he does such a wonderful job um, in making a software that allows you to control your observatory remotely. But we've taken that under license from Bob and, uh, and rewritten probably more than 50% of the underlying software code and, and uh, to really tailor it to what we are actually trying to do. So um, that has actually, the software side of it has been under development for, and it's still under constant development for the last seven years or so since I actually got involved uh, with this business. So um, we have that software side set up, and then it's uh, pretty much we have the ground crew um, working around the clock, um, maintaining uh, the network and, and looking after the, the telescopes. And then on top of that, we have um, uh, Peter that is the um, observatory manager who sits there and uh, monitors all the telescopes remotely to make sure they're behaving and uh, make sure that we fix any hair. errors. And, no, I still yeah, have my hair. I still have my hair. You've got a cushy Yeah, pushes, pushes the right buttons at the right times to make sure that the uh, network is um, you know working correctly in the way it, uh, it, it should be. But um, there's a lot of checks that we go through every time that we open up to make sure that uh, all of the cameras are connected and the telescope mounts are performing correctly. And it's um, quite involved. And um, there's the acquisition of uh, calibration data that happens uh, on a daily basis, uh, flats, darks, and bias, which we collect and we have to cut, you know, collate and uh, process and make available uh, to our users. So it's it's an overall fairly uh, complex process but um, we try and make it as easy as possible for our members. Yeah. Um, from what I've seen on your website um, and some of the, the people, uh, the pictures that people are producing, it seems fairly easy that the, they're just getting on remotely and being able to produce these things. Can you take us through what the actual steps are from getting on to, I mean, at a high level, um, sure. to producing a, a nice picture? Well, um, we... Um, try and cater for absolutely everyone. So we cater from people who just have a very generic interest in astronomy all the way up to, you know, people with PhDs doing scientific research projects. So we've got and everything else in between. So we have a number of telescopes and instrumentation in our network designed for different applications. Um, but for most people, what we find is uh, they just log onto our website, they register an account, they get a complimentary account that gives them access to uh, the T3 telescope in New Mexico, uh, which has a, a single-shot um, CCD color camera on it. 
And it's uh, as simple as we have um, this Launchpad software, which is really a web-based application, which you log on to and you can see the day-night map and you can see where it's dark and where it's, you know, um, daytime. You can see uh, the all-sky cameras. We have all-sky cameras monitoring the night sky so you can see whether it's cloudy conditions. And you get a little uh, list of, you know, all the telescopes available on the network. And if you see it available, you can click on the availability available link and it will take you directly straight into the telescope's computer. So you're actually connecting to the computer that is directly connected to the telescope. So from that point, you get a web um, interface, a web menu system, and um, it's literally as simple as you get, uh, we call it the one-click imaging system, and what that is is just a, a little link that you click on and it opens up a menu of available um, fairly bright astronomical targets that are available at that observatory location at that point in time. And then it's as matter of as simple as uh, clicking the uh, button to actually start the telescope, you know, slewing and actually capturing the data. So to acquire uh, a five-minute image on a fairly bright target, you'd kind of take about 10 minutes worth of telescope time to actually get that because the telescope's got to slew to the location, it's got to do pointing tests, it's got to do, um, got to focus the telescope and go through a whole series of parameters, set up an auto-guider, and then it actually starts the exposure. So, uh, And you can watch this pretty much in near real time. There's a, a status button on the telescope, and you can actually see this script running through in real time. And you can watch each as each line pops up in the script what the telescope is doing. Uh, from that, we have another link where you can actually view the remote observatory desktop. So every two minutes, we take a screen capture, and we um, make that available to the web page. So you can actually log on and actually see all the software applications. You can see the telescope slewing. You can see exactly what it's doing in fairly near real time. Once the telescope's finished acquiring the image, um, we've got fairly sophisticated scripts that go and do the post-processing of the image and produce it into uh, a color image, which then we email out to um, to the member. And uh, on the email, you will get a, a JPEG uh, image um, with exactly what you're after. And it's it's really that simple wow. to get started with. So. <laughs> that is. It's, it's just like point and shoot. <laughs> yeah, it's, like it's, it. really, it's really point and, uh, point and click. And uh, we try and keep as costs as low as possible when using this network. It is a, uh, it is a fee for service and a fee for membership service. But um, a lot of people come to me and say, well, Brad, gee, you know, I'm using equipment that I would never get access to or there's no way my wife would ever let me own something like yes. this. So, <laughs> you know, gee, you know, I'm just so lucky that, you know, I can can take these these images. And um, from there what happens is that people then, you know, go and actually, you know, become a full member of the service and, and, and get access to the other telescopes in the network. And if they've got an interest in like one-click, uh, one-shot, single-shot colour you know, astrophotography mm. photos, you know, we've got a whole range of systems that do that. We might have other people that might be interested in doing light curves and um, looking at um, exoplanets and they go and use a, a slightly different set of telescopes. So it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty simple. Uh, it does get a little bit more complex as you get on. If you want to take it a bit beyond that and start using some like um, the monochrome 
uh, CCD cameras we have, and they have filters like red, green, and blue filters in front of them that you then then take um, a series of monochrome images through each filter, and then you compile it into a red, green, blue channel to produce a, a color um, uh, image itself. That becomes a little bit more complex and a little bit more involved. We do have uh, books that we suggest that people read. We have to video tutorials on the website, but that's where the you know the science and the art sort of meet. And um, typically, we leave um, our members. You know, they once they acquire the data, it's up to them to process the data themselves. And it's really we offer like a series of stepping stones. So you start from here. You get the JPEG. Preview, get the JPEG images on your email, already color processed, and then you kind of like work up in taking little steps all the way up, depending on where you actually want to go. And and we have people that, you know, can take you know very raw looking images and have actually produced them and actually won um, like awards and had them uh, their images posted up on uh, NASA's Astronomy Picture of the Day, and uh, that gives us a, a lot of great pleasure seeing you know. Yeah, being yeah. able to use our network and actually be able to take, you know, fairly high quality astro photos and actually, you know, get them and actually, you know, for people to bring, you know, win awards. So it's 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 great. It gives us a lot of pleasure sitting back here watching all this that goes on our, our network. It's you know we look back and sometimes we go, wow, this is just amazing. We we still impress ourselves yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, Siding Spring is under construction. What yes. what exactly is going in up here? Okay, we had um, a series of uh, telescopes um, in uh, Australia previously, and basically due to some commercial reasons and, uh, and and due to some poor weather, we had to close an observatory site down, which was located in uh, South Australia. So we've kind of been in this little lull situation for the last year, unfortunately, and um, I've got two of the telescopes in my backyard in Melbourne, and, and anyone who knows Australia, and uh, you, you mentioned telescopes in Melbourne, you just go, wow, that's a horrible place to put telescopes, and it sure is i mean we're lucky to get maybe 10 or 15 hours of imaging time out of our telescopes uh, in melbourne at the moment so it's been a real frustration because we've really limited our access into the uh, southern hemisphere but um back in um early 2011 we uh, um started um our contact up here uh, with the um, Research School of Astronomy and Astrophysics at, at, um, at the ANU and we started developing a relationship and we worked out that there were um, some good synergies of uh, bringing an organisation ourselves up onto the mountain here. So um, there's been a, it's been a long ongoing process. There's a lot of you know permits and a, um, a lot of um, approvals that need to be obtained in order to build an observatory up on the uh, up on the mountain so um, we're at the latter stages of that and uh, we've had um, some uh, the the form work and the retaining wall and the power go to the site and we're about ready now to actually start the actual physical construction of the observatory so um, we're anticipating probably another eight weeks maybe 12 weeks away to where we actually can actually start installing telescopes in and having them available to our membership base. And uh, we have um, five telescopes in storage at the moment that uh, we're going to bring online, and I think we're going to have about seven telescopes 
pretty much close to immediately available to uh, the membership base uh, once we complete the construction of the observatory. So we've got a, um, a half a metre system in storage in, um, in the mountain at the moment, which um, is uh, good because it will be our first 20-inch telescope available in the southern hemisphere. We have another 20-inch telescope in New Mexico, and that's really proven as a big hit. So, um, yeah, we we, we we can hardly wait. <laughs> we we are just we're just waiting for this construction process to be complete. So, um, does iTelescope own all their, all of their telescopes? Um, we own a, a majority of them. We do have um, um, some uh, members who uh, do have instrumentation themselves, and we're quite fussy with the instrumentation that we let on the network. Um, we do allow some of our members to um, have telescopes on uh, the network so there's probably about 40 percent of uh, all telescopes on the network are actually owned by um, another member and that's what we call an affiliate so um, those guys have been generous enough to invest their hard-earned money um, to um, allow um, their instrumentation to be available for um, you know our, our general membership base, and um, you know they it works out okay for those people because they get their telescope hosted at a you know really a world class observatory facility. They get their telescope maintained. Um, typically, when you host your telescope at these places, there's uh, hosting fees, which can be mm. quite expensive, yeah. and uh, they get that covered um, through um, the relationship that they have with us. So we have very limited um, affiliate uh, affiliate. Um, spaces available and pretty much most of them are already filled up we might have one or two spaces left in australia but um that also helps our network um expand but uh, through also you know the membership fees you know we put on our own telescopes um ourselves and you know we've got a few other projects which we're you know trying to save up for some uh, much larger um you know instruments you know you know but that's that's going to be a two or three year project yeah, yeah. <laughs> to kind of get to that stage sure so, so um the, the other question that drifted past my mind when you were talking back at the imaging stage was the images that are taken, are they exclusively owned by the person that's taking them? Or? Yes. Yeah, this is another good point. Um, the uh, data that you acquire on our network is for your exclusive work use only we do not you know take customer data and you know go well you know after three months we're going to put it in a library and let people you know have access to it it's pretty much what you do privately on our network is your own business it's like you having your own set of telescopes all over the world so and and some of it is i mean some of our scientific users are very very competitive and very secretive about i mean we can see from an administration level what they're doing but you know, it can get very, very, you know, competitive when there is a new supernova out or a new comet out. People scramble on our network, you know, trying to image this thing and there's, you know, um, you know, science contributions are measured in, you know, uh, how many publications and citations that you have in journals and, you know, our network can get very, very busy and very, very competitive. So, um, you know, but likewise, we also have um, groups of members that like to work together and like to con collaborate and share their data between each other and we have facilities that um, allow um, uh, people to do that. Um, from time to time, um, we might, as ourselves, itelescope.net, we will release our own data set available to all of our members. So we might, you know, say, well, we're going to image, 
this object and we'll make that data publicly available to all of our members as a bit of a, you know, a side project for, you know, people to work on. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, no, that's good. Um, the, I don't know if you can tell me or not, but are you aware of any cool science projects that are going on that are using the equipment or is there any that you can talk about? Yeah, no, we have um, heaps of things going on all the time, so much so that we lose track of exactly what's going on. We have, because astronomy is so diverse in, in its applications, we have like members working on like exoplanet research and we had uh, one member who was looking at, who was contributing data towards a, a research paper to do with a – was it a Russian paper? Variable star or something, yeah. No, no, there, there, there's, there's so many things that go on the network. And we just had recently uh, Peter Lake, one of our members, who uh, recently got a publication in, I think it was with a Russian group of astronomers who were doing um, exoplanet research and they were needing some additional data. And, and uh, Peter was a, uh, able to uh, – Peter Lake, that is, was able to provide them some data and help contribute to their papers and there's there's lots of little projects that go on all the time and Pete, we recently had what what comet was that that was up we have a number of comets up Love at the moment voice. but what was the there's been a lot of comets yeah that's <laughs> it and a few supernovas as I, well what I, what I notice is the, the amount of science users that go on I can tell the science users from the, the short exposures and the, the very unpretty pictures you're not lo- looking at Orion and M42 and stuff you're looking at a single star in the middle of the field of view and going that's a science shop yeah. and there's a lot of that happening but we just don't know about it as such that people do the, get their data and go off and do their thing all right okay. so we don't interfere yeah. too much that's but right. some of the stuff is really obvious like ask the near earth asteroids that pass by now and then yep. you can see that coming on and people are quite happy to post those images up mm. and then we can finally see oh that's what they've been using our telescope for <laughs> You know, Rob McNaught actually used that telescope a few weeks ago. All right, in, okay. Imaging a Neo that went past Earth, and uh, his data was used in conjunction with Goldstone in America, with the antenna there, as, to do a radar measurement of the Neo as it passed by. Ah, oh, so, right, there you go. So that kind of thing happens. We don't pry. We, we know it's going on, but yeah. it, scientists <laughs> are scientists. You know, they, 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 they like keeping it secret. Yeah. But, yeah, they, they, they also, especially the science guys, find it of great benefit um, – I mean, take someone like Rob McNaught. He was able, during the daytime in Australia, he was able to hop onto our Spain Observatory and observe this uh, near-Earth um, asteroid that went zooming past the Earth. And, um, you know, you can only do that at, you know, an opportune time. And, you know, we had our um, observatories in Spain available at that time. So, you know, the flexibility is just amazing of how many telescopes we have on the network and how many sites that we have and uh, most of this is on demand which is a little bit different to what some of if uh, people into uh, science-based astronomy usually you have to submit a proposal and grant time and you go through this long arduous process and then the weather's bad and you miss the window of opportunity um with our network, you literally just d- jump on, and there's so many telescopes on the network that you usually can get onto a telescope and get the information that you need off the network in real time. So it's it's yeah, it's it's a bit of a paradigm shift for people who have that astronomy science background coming to a network like ours because it's like what you you I don't have to submit a proposal and I don't have to queue up and wait for you know ten other users to finish. It's you know it's on-demand astronomy, so it, it works out really good for on-demand events. <laughs> so are there plans for any other sites or are you kind of covered or corners covered? Or 
Yeah, well, it, with weather um, working in our favour, which it does most of the time, our sites are pretty weather-friendly, um, we can go around the globe. We follow the night sky non-stop so you can go from you um us to spain australia us and you just go around and around and around until one site bombs out with bad weather so um yeah we've had users like track objects in space going from one observatory to the next observatory and the next observatory and it's like the sun you know never rises <laughs> at all so uh, which is quite you know interesting for you know some some people um it's just a, a lot of flexibility but at this stage we don't don't um, have anything on the cards. We're just expanding the operations at both of these sites. I mean, selecting a, a remote observatory location is actually quite a difficult process because there's a lot of things that you need, such as super high-speed internet because you've got to move large volumes of data off the network. You need really dark skies, really clear skies, and you put all those combinations together and you go, well, all the really good sites high up which are dark, are usually on mountain ranges, away from absolutely all sorts of utilities, let alone an internet connection. Exactly. And then you try and get an internet connection there, and it's just like there's a lot of things that work against you in terms of, (laughs) you know, an observatory site. And, um, you know, we have been from our backyards all the way up to now where we are at really professional locations, and um, that has been a a long, ongoing process, and we have – made many mistakes and learnt many things, you know, throughout some of our other observatory locations. And um, at this stage, we don't have anything planned, but we are just planning to expand our current observatory locations as the network grows. All right. Um, how about you as – I mean, you were started because you are into astrophotography. Do you still do it for fun? I I still have a very, very keen interest in astrophotography and I have to admit there's always a little bit of jealousy inside me when, just a little bit, when a user comes to me and says, oh, Brad, have a look at this wonderful photo. I look at it and go, gee, that is so good. I wish I had time to do that myself. Yeah. And I don't. I am so busy in terms of running the business, making sure the network's available, making sure, you know, project management, making sure things happen at the right time, making sure I sit on top of the entire organization to make sure everything works. So um, I have very little time myself to actually get on the telescopes and actually use them. I do from time to time. We call it eating our own dog food, making sure that, you know, the telescopes and the quality that we have is coming out that we can actually produce good quality data with. So I do that from time to time, but nowhere near enough. I mean, I started back nine years ago with um, astrophotography in my backyard in Melbourne before I had all this light pollution around me. And, um, you know, I was producing some, you know, some, some, some quite high quality work, which has been published. And uh, that's where I basically started from. But, um, I, gee, I, I wish I had more time. I need another mu- clone of myself in order to do more uh, astrophotography work. But I get a lot of pleasure seeing our members, um, you know, produce this work. And uh, some of the work that comes off is just uh, jaw-dropping. And it this also gives me a lot of pleasure seeing the evolution of people who, you know, they come on the network and they take a – a simple black and white image and they which is blurry and fuzzy because you know the seeing conditions were poor and they through you know their processing processing techniques were able to sharpen up the image and actually turn it into a good looking image and you know they produce this black and white image which is just absolutely fantastic and 
and you see where they started from to where they are now and how their skills develop over time. And you can see, well, you know, even though this isn't a full-blown color image with absolutely everything on it, you can see that, that this is a high-quality image and, and the members put in a lot of work themselves to get to this stage. And it's very rewarding watching people grow with their skills you know, and learn all these different techniques on how to process an image. And, and you just watch them over a period of time and, they, you know, they'll learn something new and they come up with a new trick and a new way to handle this and a new way to handle that. And, and, you, and you watch them grow over a period of time into where they actually starting, you know, to produce award-winning images. It's, that gives me a, a great deal of pleasure watching that. What about you, Pete? Hmm? Oh, <laughs> uh, imaging, uh, a little bit of planetary stuff. I quite enjoyed that when I was using telescopes, but I've been so busy, as Brad has said, on our own system, keeping that going, that my little telescope is sort of sitting in the back in, sto- oh. in storage in Melbourne, and uh, I'm actually looking forward to getting it up on the mountain here, because I'll, I'll have it in the front yard, and I'll be doing yeah. what normal astronomers <laughs> do when they're do not working. <laughs> but it's fun. No. Brad has some, he's been quite modest, actually. He's an excellent imager. Mm. And he... Uh, 90% of the work in astro-imaging is done in the, on, from the computer. Yeah. It's you at night, with a cup of coffee, reducing that data, cleaning it up, removing noise, sharpening it up, mixing colours. That's what astro-imaging is about. The telescopic side is fun for some. Mm. It's romantic. But in the <laughs> end, when you just want data, yes. data is what you want. Yeah. You know, so... That's collected by Yeah, well, Pete, Pete touches on that romance side, and that's one thing people, when they come to our network, and it's been an evolution over a number of eight years, we get people saying, oh, we don't like this because I can't be with my telescope. And that is something that we're never, ever, ever going to be able to do. But we do go at long lengths to make you feel like you're still connected to the telescope with, you know, being able to log on to the observatory in real side, in real time, being knowing that you're directly connected to the telescope and knowing that, you know, you can view the observatory desktop and see what's going on in real time. And we have preview images and auto guide images, all these sorts of things to try and make it feel like you're sitting beside the telescope. So that's a sort of a very important user experience, membership experience that we try and bring to the table here. But um, for the pure romantics, I mean, we can't do that, unfortunately. <laughs> it's just, it can't I think do. they're crazy. The first time I took my scope out in winter, and that was the first thing I went, I've got to make this remote. It's too bloody cold. See, that's, that's your telescope option. If you want to feel like you're doing step outside so of your computer I, right. and do it, do it Go there. stand in the snow, and then you'll know uh, what it's I, I learn quickly. You want an image, you just want the data yes. from a telescope. If you yeah. want science, you know, there's no romance in science. No, that's People right. who are doing science don't care. As long as the data is of high quality, yeah. they're happy. But uh, yeah. the, the romance of sitting in the backyard on a summer's evening under a, with a telescope next to your side, lovely. Yeah. 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 We, we, uh, it gives me also uh, occasionally what happens is we have a member that will sign up and go, right, and gets really heavily into it, and then they disappear. They go away. And then, like, a year later, they come back and go, I just, I got so hooked into this, I spent, like, $150,000 and built my own observatory, invested in a new, you know, high-end mount, big optics, you know, everything. Yep. And they haven't produced one single image because they haven't been able to get everything working together the way they thought. And they come back and they go, gee, how do you do this? 
<laughs> how do you do it with 18 telescopes at one time? And it's like, well, yeah, we, that's what we do. Yeah. So, you know, and it, it's interesting to see that, that evolution and um, it's some things that, you know, people take for granted, but they do come back and go, wow, gee. And um, a lot of people, you know, use our network where it's, you know, a poor season. They come, and, you know, that we have seasonal memberships that people come in and use our network. And then when their observatory comes back online, they get back online. So, you know, it's, we don't discriminate. We welcome everyone who wants to um, get in. And a lot of the membership fees, I mean, we're, we're talking as little as $20 a month here, um, all the way up to, you know, five, $600 a month, depending on what really what you want to do if you're into some really heavy-duty, you know, scientific projects. Yeah, but it's so, still um, cheap compared to normal observing. Yeah, yeah we try and make it as, as affordable for as people as possible. Um, whilst, you know, being able to keep the network up and running. So, you know, there's a lot of expenses that go into running a network in, in terms of this size. And some people go, oh, gee, it's very expensive. Look at the rates. And it's like, well, you work everything and staff costs and observatory locations and internet feeds and time, materials, spare parts. Yeah, that's what it actually costs to actually run a network like this. And um, you know, we try and keep those costs as low as possible. But, um, you know, we always try and support our users. And sometimes things go wrong. You know, sometimes wind interferes and you get a whole heap of smudged images and you know, we always look after our members and you know refund sessions and, and and look after that so we try and make the experience as uh you know pleasing as possible sure so. all right well i think we'll wrap it up around there so can you plug your website url and your twitter handle and your Facebook page? It's, it's www.itelescope.net or you can just Google iTelescope or itelescope.net and uh, you'll reach us that way. Um, Peter, what's our um, Twitter? It's itelescope.net. Just look for itelescope on Twitter and the same on Facebook. We're happy to hear from people. We always enjoy that. Great. All right, well, yeah, Google's your friend. Just Google iTelescope, Twitter, iTelescope, um, um, Facebook, and uh, you'll soon um, find our sites. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, we, I'll um, pop it in the show notes as well. And cheerio to all my friends in Melbourne. Uh, thanks to you guys for keeping me uh, going in astronomy. You really helped and I miss you. Oh, Melbourne. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, Brad. Thanks, Pete. Thank you for your time, Alison. that was Brad and Pete from itelescope.net and um, I hope that that helps people out there who didn't even realize that such services existed. Uh, All you need is an internet uh, connection and Bob's your uncle. Thanks for listening and as always here's the begging and pleading for a uh, review or a rating on iTunes and tell your astronomy friends about Astro Podcast. Till next week. Thanks for listening to the Astro Podcast. Why not leave a comment and rating on iTunes so other people can listen in too? If you want to nominate someone to be interviewed, then send an email to alison at astropodcast.com and she'll do her best to make it so.